This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. If you would please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words that I say. Let my teaching fall on you like rain, and let my speech settle like dew. Let my words fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on young plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God! He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. God's words to us are like rain when we really need it. Rain does amazing things. If you go to a parched area where there is no rain, you will find that the greatest need is simply water. They could have access to anything else, but what they will want is water. Because of the effect that the water has on the ground, which causes things to grow, which helps them to be able to eat. God's desire for us is to be able to have living water on a regular basis. Jesus was talking to a woman at a well, and, uh, and he asked, he was having a dialogue with her about water. And he said to her, he said, if you knew the water that I had for you, you would ask me for it, and I would give it to you, and it, be, it would be for you uh, uh, a life from within, that the Spirit of God would give purpose. Every single one of us have a certain amount of things But hopefully we have learned that those things don't bring satisfaction. They don't give us full purpose. But rather what gives us hope and what gives us purpose is what God provides for our spirits. You could be in the poorest of countries and have next to nothing. But I have seen some of the little kids running around with a little stick, pushing a tire and uh, having a blast, being filled with joy without a whole lot of stuff. Because stuff doesn't bring happiness. Somehow we have come to the conclusion that the American dream is primarily about getting stuff and being able to have the things that we want to have. And so we get that stuff and we get into debt to get that stuff. And when it's all said and done, the joy is just a little bit farther away. And we're always grasping, always trying to get what we really want. And it's never something that we can grasp until we settle our hearts in to recognize that our fulfillment is only going to come from the source of true life, which is our creator, God himself. And when we do that, there is a peace that comes and a joy that comes that is so unlike anything we've ever experienced. When you get your brand new car, when you get your brand new house or your boat or whatever you're hoping to be able to get, and you get some excitement that only lasts for a little while, and it's not a peace that can overcome all the challenges in your life, but the peace that God gives, Jesus said, the world can never take away. It's something that is yours to keep. 
And I'm so grateful that when God gives stuff, he gives good stuff. The scripture says every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights with with whom is no changing or shadow of turning. God isn't trying to trick you into something to make you some business deal and somehow that he'll get the better end of it and you'll end up with whatever you've got. No, he is always about giving you what is best because you're his son and you're his daughter and he loves you very much. And even that sometimes, even in the church, what is best has been twisted to represent simply something that has monetary value. What is best is not necessarily you driving the latest car or having the latest this or that. But what is best for you is what God has given to you because you can have next to nothing in this world and you can be filled with the joy of the Lord. And for those of you who have been filled with the joy of the Lord, you know, you wouldn't trade it for anything else. But that comes from our heavenly father. It's not something that you can purchase. You can't go to a local store and say, I'll get me some peace, please. How much does it cost? How about a little extra joy on the side? You can't do it. There's nowhere that you can go in this world to get what your father in heaven can give you. What I want to talk to you about this morning is something that I believe is very critical for us as a church body because our source is him. At any time we turn our direction anywhere else, it creates confusion in our minds. Our source is not in a person. Your source, as much as I am delighted here to be with you and to serve as your pastor, your source of joy and your source of peace is not me. Your source is God himself. And I need to depend on him as much as every single one of us in this church. Because he is the one that keeps my heart beating. He is the one that keeps my lungs breathing. But even more than that, every single day that I give up, he's, get up, he's the one who gives me purpose for living. God desires for us to flourish in his spirit. He doesn't want us simply to be surviving in this world, trying to make it through one day to another, but rather that we will thrive in the power of his spirit. When you look in the book of Acts, there was persecution that unfortunately affected so many that were followers of Jesus. But you see the results of the persecution were that they began to recognize that their source was the Lord. And even though they were spread out all around and they were dealing with challenges on every side, the scripture tells us that they turned their world upside down because they weren't in a quarter somewhere uh, having a pity party, but rather they were saying, I know in whom I have believed. And this world may have trouble. We might have challenges in whatever we go through, but my God is faithful and the sufferings that I'm dealing with now are nothing to be compared with what is coming down the pike. And when we have that hope, we can endure many things in this world. God wants to pour rain upon you today. He wants his word to fall on you like rain and his speech to settle upon you like dew. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 28 now, if you'd flip back just a few uh, chapters, there is a list of blessings that God gives for those who obey his word. Now, I hope you brought your Bibles with you to church. Now, we do have things we could throw up on the screen, but there's a reason I don't want to do that right now, because I want you to get busy about getting to know the word of God. 
So please make it your intention to bring God's word with you so that you can interact with it. Deuteronomy 28, it says this in verse 1, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Where <clears throat> your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They'll attack you from one direction, but they'll scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he is giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore that he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. Verse 11, the Lord will give you prosperity in the land that he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. Verse 12, listen to this. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work that you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you will always be on top and never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today, nor follow any other gods and worship them. And then there is a list that follows all of these blessings. And it simply starts out with saying, but, but if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come and overwhelm you. And basically all the areas where God said, I will bless you, he simply says, if you totally reject what I have for you, then instead of blessings, cursings will come. He goes on to talk about how uh, they will not receive what they need. But I want to fast forward to verse 24. And it says this, the Lord will change the rain that falls on your land into powder and dust will pour down from the sky until you are destroyed. One of the ways that God deals with people who reject him is he simply holds back the rain. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11, it says, The time is surely coming, says the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And that is happening in our world today. In our very schools of a nation that was founded on the principles of God's word, it has somehow become understood that the government is supposed to distance itself from the principles of God's word upon which this nation was founded. How did we get to where we are? There has been a rejection 
of the truth of God's word. And now somehow our children who go to public schools aren't even allowed to pray or to be able to engage in sharing the life of God with other kids in their classroom. God has seen all the steps that has been taken. But God still wants to pour out his spirit. So what is he going to do? I want to share with you that there is a part that you and I play in preparation for the rain. And I want to talk to you this morning about what we need to do to prepare for the rain. Because there is a job that you have and I have in this process. You may remember the promise that God gave to the prophet Joel. God said in chapter 2, he said in verse 28, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, uh, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The problem that we have is that while many are making their decisions to reject the word of God, is that the responsibility still falls to you and I to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can get so caught up in looking at the people who are rejecting that we ourselves are not doing our part to prepare for the rain. God has something that he wants to do in and through us that at this moment he cannot do through others because they don't want anything to do with him. So rather than look at that, And simply say, oh God, we have no hope. We are lost. What is going to happen? We need to come back to the source and say, oh God, would you pour out your rain upon us once again? We need to come back and to stand in the gap. And rather than look at all the problems, and there are many to be seen, we need to come back to God as Daniel did when he prayed for the nation. And he said, oh Lord, we have walked away from you. But would you please have mercy upon us? And when you and I begin to prepare for the reign of the Spirit of God, God will use you as a faucet to pour his water upon a dry and thirsty land. Your part and my part is to prepare for what God wants to do. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He knows those who are interested in him, and he he knows those who could care less. Let God deal with sorting that all out. All you have to do is simply say, God, I'm a willing vessel. Would you work in and through me for your glory? God wants to pour out his spirit, and he wants the rain to change our area for his purposes. But the reason sometimes that the rain stops is simply because of hearts that have turned away from God. And I want to turn you now uh, to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. 
where I believe God shows us a great example of what he wants to do and what he did do back then and the character of our God has not changed. In 1 Kings chapter 17, God spoke to Elijah and he said, I want you to go and I want you to speak to King Ahab and tell him this message. And so Elijah went and told him, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God that I serve, there will be no dew and there will be no rain during the next few years until I give the word. Sometimes God dries up things in our lives to get our attention. Because when you try to do everything you can to fix the problem and you can't find the solution, you end up going back to the source. And that's exactly what God wanted his people to do. He wanted his people to understand, all right, you can try to fix this. You can try to use your military might to get advancement here, but you cannot make it rain. You and I have no control over the rain. We can try to know when the rain is coming, and even that's kind of hard. But only God can make it rain. He's the one who has control. And so when we walk away from him, as, uh, as we do that, we walk away from the provision of the Lord. God says, all right, you're going to reject me. You'll need to understand that I am your source. So God says, there's not going to be any rain for the next few years. Fast forward now to 1 Kings chapter 18. Time had passed three years. This was the third year of the drought. Later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him that I will soon send the rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So, the king was very upset about all that had been going on. And in fact, Ahab had sent out someone called Obadiah uh, to see if there was any other option of finding sources of water. You look there in verse 5. Uh, Obadiah was sent to check every spring and valley in the land to see if we could find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and the mules. And so uh, Ahab had gone one way. Obadiah had gone the other. And basically here they are looking for sources of water. Water. In our world today, we have people looking for sources of water, but finding none. They're looking in all the wrong places. Because the one who stopped the rain in the first place, they don't want anything to do with him. So what good does it do for us to go trying to find the rain source in this world? Elijah, after he had told the king that it wouldn't rain, God gave him specific directions. He said, I want you to go to this specific place, and I'm going to take care of you there. There's some water, and I'm going to have birds bring you meat and bread. And God provided everything that Elijah needed. Why? Because he trusted in the Lord. Every single one of you, I want to remind you of this, your source is the Lord. Your source is not your paycheck. Thank God for your paycheck. But if God didn't give it to you, you wouldn't have it. 
So whenever you try to rack your budget up and all these kind of things, can I afford this? Can I afford that? Keep this in mind. It's not determined on your paycheck. It's determined by the one who is guiding and directing your life. Because God is the source of everything you have. And when you recognize that, at times we will find ourselves even being asked of God to do more than we would ever expect to do because right around the corner, God's about to dump bucket loads of blessings on us and he wants to know if we'll trust him. But God wants us to recognize him as the source. And so, Obadiah, Ahab, they're looking for water. There's no water to be found. Obadiah is walking along and all of a sudden he sees Elijah. Obadiah rec recognizes him, verse 7, and bows low to the ground and says, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Oh, yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now, go and tell your master that Elijah is here. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested, what harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time he was told, Elijah is not here. King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear to the truth of his claim. And now you say, go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Oh, but as soon as I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. And when Ahab comes and can't find you, he's going to kill me. Yet I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Ahab, who was one of the key people in turning away from God, the nation of Israel, was looking for Elijah. Because he thought somehow he could solve the problem by getting through to the messenger. But God had said, there's not going to be any communication and there's not going to be any changes until there's a heart change. King Ahab was looking for a solution. Oftentimes it's so easy for us to deal with what we can see. And that's how Ahab was operating. He was going to try to figure the problem out. But all along what God was wanting is Ahab to humble himself before God and to recognize that God was the source. And so Elijah responds to Obadiah and says, I swear by the Almighty God in whose presence that I, I stand that I will present my, myself to Ahab this very day. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you? Now, keep in mind now who he's been looking for for these three years. Keep in mind the trouble that he's had in his nation because of what had happened after Elijah said it's not going to rain for a few years. He greets Elijah with these words. Is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Good way to start a conversation when you have no rain. Not such a good idea. I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord. And have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel. Along with the 450 prophets of Baal. And the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. Three years pass. No rain in the land. People are suffering and dying. 
And what does Elijah say? God is going to send the rain. But there's some work to do. He goes to Ahab. He says, Ahab, I want you to know that you're the source of this trouble. Ahab had said, you're the troublemaker. Elijah said, no, you and your family are the reason why God has stopped the rain. He said, your family's worshiping Baal. You have turned your heart away from God. What has Baal done for you? Perhaps Baal has sent rain over the last three years. They had nothing. And so he says, all right, we're going to show once and for all who the real God is. A story many of you may know well. But Elijah basically says, all right, call all the prophets of Baal. And we're going to, you call on your gods, and I'm going to call on my God. And whoever answers by fire, we're going to determine once and for all who the real God is. Now keep in mind at the beginning of the chapter, the purpose for Elijah coming to see Ahab was so that it would rain. But not quite yet. Because they needed to prepare for the rain. What was happening right now is that the leader of the nation, as well as his people, were worshiping false gods. And God looks down and says, the the land is not ready for the rain. I'm going to pause there for a moment. Because every single one of us have our own little territory that is our responsibility. And you are responsible for preparing for the rain. When God looks down at your home and your household, can he say, this family is ready for the rain? Or if he looks down, does he see things that are equal to bales in our lives? Where we have set aside money, time, and all of our resources for things that are not of God. And God says, Well, it looks like I'm not on the throne in your sphere of responsibilities. God says, you're not ready for rain. Looked at Israel and he said, they're not ready for rain. And so he says, we have to do something about that. And so Elijah, he says, okay, we're going to prepare. And he begins, it says, by repairing the altar of the Lord. He repairs the altar of the Lord in this spiritual showdown that he would have with the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal went first. And so they did everything that they could. In fact, they danced. They hobbled around the altar. Uh, They shouted. And in in, in the middle of all of this, Elijah says, well, perhaps you guys have to shout louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's daydreaming. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's away on a trip. Or maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And so uh, Elijah's prodding them. and, And they began to shout louder. And following their normal custom, they began to cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. These were sincere prophets of Baal. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no reply, no response. Uh, Then Elijah, after kind of seeing all this go on, he says, "Uh, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. 
He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he uh, used them to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and then he asked for water to be poured over the offering and the wood. And after he had done this, he said, do it again. And when they were finished, he said, now a third time. And so they did it just as he said. And as the water ran around the altar, it even filled up the trench. Now, this was a risky move. I mean, think about it now. Put yourself in Elijah's situation. So you believe God, that he is the true God. And here there are these 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, as far as numbers go, there was a little outnumbered there. And in the middle of this, this is a great challenge. Not only is Elijah mocking their God because he is not a God, but the truth is, is that Elijah has a lot on the line. He's basically saying, okay, I trust that my God is going to respond by fire, so much so that go ahead and get the wood all wet. Let's make this as difficult as possible so that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the God who responds is the God who is genuine and real. Sometimes in your lives, God gives you an opportunity for a very difficult situation that you find yourself in to demonstrate the greatness of God. And sometimes in our little selves, we feel like, oh, I wish this weren't so hard. But remember this, sometimes the difficulty of the situation is actually preparing for God to get more glory. Because in the little things, yes, God can get the glory. But when everything's on the line, it's a lot stronger for God to be able to receive praise and honor for the situation. And so Elijah, he continues and he says now in verse uh, 37, O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O God, are the one that has brought them back to yourself. Verse 38. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all. Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go and get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Keep in mind, at the beginning of the chapter, it was God's purpose and intent that the rain would come. And God gave Elijah an assignment to clean house, because the house needed to be clean for the rain to be able to fall. And if you and I want the power of the presence of the living God to be poured out upon us, as was prophesied in the book of Joel, it doesn't just happen somehow, some way, but rather you and I have to be prepared. As it says that God is looking over the whole earth to see those whose hearts, on whose behalf he can show himself strong. God wants to demonstrate his power, but he's only going to do it on behalf of those who are truly and wholly committed to him. God shows up and the place is cleaned up. Those who did not willingly turn to the Lord, God dealt with them. Elijah tells Ahab, I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. 
whenever God says something to us, our response is critical. And it's not always a verbal response. But what we do about it shows whether we actually believe God or not. If you hear in the forecast that it's going to rain today, and you see that the percentage is 100%, if you have any inkling of believing that forecast, what do you do? You, you do a little preparation, don't you? If you've got an umbrella, you get it. If you need to put something on your shoes to keep them well, you put it on. You do what you need to do to prepare for the rain. Why? Because you believe it's coming. Can you imagine a person who says, I really believe it's going to rain today. And their hair is like perfectly done up, you know. And they have no umbrella. And they're walking out the door to go to work. You're like, you, you really do believe it's going to rain today? Oh yes, it's going to rain today. I believe, you do? Well, you sure don't look like it. Because you're not ready for the rain. God looks at you and I and he says, okay, do you believe that I want to pour out my spirit on all flesh? Oh, you speak about it, you may write it down and have it on a little plaque in your house. But do you really believe it? Are you preparing your house for the reign of the spirit of God to move? So sometimes it's hard to prepare for the rain when it involves more than getting an umbrella. Because that's easy. But the reign of the Spirit is a different kind of reign. The reign of the Spirit is not just a reign of any spirit. It is a reign of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit shows up, good things and challenging things happen. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, there were a couple people that thought they could get one over on the Holy Spirit. They showed up at Peter and they said, you know, this is everything we have. We're giving it all to the church, but they weren't giving it all. Now, God had not told them to give it all to the church. It wasn't an issue of how much they gave, but it was an issue of their lying. And they said, we're giving this all to the church. And Peter, God revealed to him, they're not giving it all. And so he said to that person, he said, Ananias, because you have decided to lie to the Holy Spirit, today was your last day. He fell down and died. Well, that's part of the consequences of the reign of the Holy Spirit. That's the part that's not as exciting to talk about. His wife came in and he, Peter said, is that true that... That, that this was it? Oh, yes. Oh, that's it. No more. How have you conspired with your husband against the Holy Spirit? The same people who took your husband's body out are going to drag your body out as well. That was consequences of the reign of the Spirit of God. Because the reign of the Spirit of God always cleans house. Ouch. It's a little bit different than, woohoo, praise the Lord. God wants to purify us. He wants to cleanse us. There's time for praising. But you and I can never adequately praise if we don't come with a pure heart. God is looking for hearts that are fully surrendered to him.
And he knows when we're faking it. He knows when we're coming to him and we're pretending to praise. The Spirit of God cannot effectively saturate you unless you're fully surrendered to him. After this whole process, the scripture tells us that while he told Ahab to go and to look or to go and eat and drink, it's listen to what Elijah did. He went to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go out and look toward the sea. The servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look, and finally the seventh time his, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to, to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Could, could you bring a chair for me? I'm not sure why. But I'm feeling really dizzy right now. Faith is based upon the promise of God, not what we see. I truly believe, and it has been confirmed to me, that God is going to pour out his rain in this church. And that every seat in this church will be full. So, my, my question to all of us, myself included, and this is what the Lord's been working on me, is how am I and how are you going to prepare for the rain? What are we going to do? So in the natural, you get your umbrella, you get what you're going to get. But in the spiritual, what does God want us to do? Well, God wants us to clean house. The scripture says that judgment must begin at the house of God. When we get it right, then we open the door for the Spirit of God to work. But if we hold on to things that God does not want us to hold on to, we really inhibit the presence of the Lord. I believe that in, in many ways, the power of the presence of God is going to be poured out in this church body but we're going to have to fight for it. I'm having to fight for it. I don't know why that happened, but my confidence is that God loves us and he wants what's best for us, and that's why he says, this is what I expect of you. So I want to challenge each of you. In the near future, and I, I'm still working on it, but we are going to start a corporate prayer meeting. And we are going to set aside a weekly time for us to gather for prayer. Because as we pray, the hand of God moves. And we win battles that we cannot win in the natural. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we need to pray. When Elijah prayed, he prayed with anticipation. He already knew the rain was coming. But he sent his servant seven times and said, go look, go look. And then he kept praying. Go look, keep praying. Go look, keep praying. The prophet, where was he looking? Where was his eyes? 
it says here that his head was, he was bowed low to the ground and his face was between his knees. He was looking through eyes of faith. He didn't have to see it to believe it. My challenge to every one of us, look to God and he'll take care of the outpouring. Look to God. And then his servant comes back and says, Now, Elijah, Elijah, all I saw was a tiny cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, It's coming! It's on its way! Run! Run to tell Ahab that he better get home right now because if he doesn't, he won't make it home. And all Elijah saw was a tiny cloud. I believe that God has demonstrated that cloud and we better get running for the glory of God. We've got to do our part. Not only was the message to Ahab to get moving and Ahab had the benefit of a horse and chariot, but now listen to what happens. It says, soon the sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. And then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak in his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. You talk about supernatural power. God equipped him to run faster than the horses to get to where he needed to go. And when God pours out his spirit in this church in a supernatural way, it's going to go way beyond what the natural world would say will work to get people in this church. Why? Because it's the supernatural power of God. And we'll be doing stuff we've never done before. We'll be seeing things we've never seen before. Because of the power of the spirit of our God. And what we go through to get there won't matter because it's worth it when we're doing God's work. My challenge to every one of us, myself included, let's do our part and clean house. Now, I'll just give you a couple ideas of things you need to look at. Our eyes are windows to our soul. Okay? It's very important that we watch what we watch carefully our ears we need to be so careful what we listen to i want to encourage you this week to go through your bookshelves your video shelves things that you've got in your house if they are not something that you would sit beside jesus and read or that you would invite jesus to watch uh, then how about get rid of it? Because what you're doing is you're preparing for the rain. The rain of the Holy Spirit. Now, the scripture says that after Ananias and Sapphira breathed their last breath, it says very few came to the church because they were all afraid of what might happen. There is a period of time, I'll tell you this, that when God cleans things up, people stand on the outside and they watch with reverent fear. But once the house is clean, 
and the Spirit of God can move, that's when the supernatural can happen. So it's a process. Let's not jump ahead in the process, but let's do it step by step in obedience to the Lord. Let's clean house, just as Elijah did with the prophets of Baal, and then the rain can come. If you're here this morning in this church, and you'd say, Pastor, you know, you were talking about peace and joy earlier, and that I can't buy it anywhere. Well, I sure could use some in my life. Because my life has been a mess. I'm here to tell you that Jesus specializes in fixing up messed up lives. He's done that for every one of us in this room who have given our hearts to him. And I want to tell you, God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what you've done. There is no guilt that you will have that can keep you from the love of your heavenly father. I'm sitting down. I'd rather be walking around and communicating with you, but I'm here to tell you this, that the spirit of God says to you, today is the day of salvation. Don't let another day go by. You may say, oh, I'm young. I've got more years. You don't know that. Not one of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Don't take a chance, my friend. Be ready. Be ready to meet Jesus. If we could all close ourselves in with God, I'd like to invite the worship team to come on back. And I want to ask you this question. If you were to leave this earth today, are you ready to meet Jesus? If you're not ready, you can be. If you'd say, Pastor, I want to ask Jesus to come in to change my life and to make me a brand new person. Right where you are, would you just simply raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want my name to be in the book of life. God sees your hand and yours and yours and yours and yours. If you would just be so kind to keep those up for just a moment. Keep your hands up if you would. I'm going to ask for our servant leadership team. Those of you in the room, would you just go find one of those who have their hands up? And would you just uh, be with them for just a moment? Men with men, preferably ladies with ladies, unless we run out. And I want you, if you would, be so kind, just come on up and grab one of these packets and and then head on back to pray with one of those people who have prayed. Would you just keep your hand up? We're going to just allow the presence of the Lord to do his work. Thank you, friends. John, if you wouldn't mind just giving packets. Judy, thank you to those who are. Now, we're going to pray together, okay? But here's what's happening. The Bible says that when we open up our hearts, that the spirit of the living God comes in and transforms our lives. What you're about to do is the most important thing in this entire world. Because Jesus came for you and he loves you this morning. I'm going to ask all of us to join together in this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, if you would just repeat after me. I commit my life to you today. 
I recognize that I am a sinner in need of salvation. Spirit of God, I welcome you to come and live in my heart, to cleanse me and make me brand new, and to write my name in the book of life. I choose from this day forward to live my life in obedience to your word. I surrender today my life completely to you. In Jesus' precious name.